History made this week, uh, Donald Trump becoming the first president to be impeached twice, all of it happening in his first term, which is going to come to an official close uh, less than one week from now. We're going to recap what the hell happened, what that means, and what the uh, uh, second impeachment will do for the legacy of Donald Trump. Uh, I'm Tyler Axis, Jason Matthews, recapping what the hell happened this week. Uh, Jason, let's start with the impeachment. Um, there's... You know, uh, last Wednesday you had the attack on the Capitol. This Wednesday you had the impeachment vote uh, in the House. And next Wednesday you're going to have Joe Biden inaugurated as the president. So the the last three uh, or the first three weeks in January, uh, buckle up. Obviously, it's been tumultuous. But this week impeachment, the second one, this is going to be Donald Trump's legacy uh, in part. I'm curious your thoughts historically what this means. We should uh, start every one of these podcasts these last few weeks like they do with the network television dramas, where they always say, last week on. I mean, it has, it has this quality to it, does it not? Uh, Donald Trump has struggled uh, throughout his uh, public career, political career, to get to 50% on anything. He didn't get 50 percent in either one of his presidential elections. He's never once. He's the only president to have never gotten 50 percent in the approval ratings uh, in the Gallup poll, or the Pew Research poll or the Reuters IPOS poll. Uh, but he will go down in history as the first president to hit 50 percent of all presidential impeachments. We've only had four presidential impeachments in American history. Uh, Andrew Johnson in 1867, uh, Bill Clinton in 1998. Richard Nixon was not impeached. He faced certain impeachment. He left before the House could vote on impeachment. Uh, Donald Trump, in the course of a year, uh, a little over a year, has been impeached twice. Uh, that is his place in history. Uh, you know, every every presidency ultimately is defined, comes down to a sentence. Uh, the, the great playwright and uh, Republican congresswoman Claire Booth Luce who was a force of Republican politics in the 40s and 50s, made the observation uh, after Roosevelt died, after FDR died. He says, well, you can sum up his life and his political career, his presidency in one sentence. Uh, you know, and you think about presidents, what comes to mind immediately? I mean, the New York Times paragraph, that opening paragraph in the obituary. Uh, this week, there was a, a, a political scientist uh, who took a stab at it, this very thing. And, and he wrote... Uh, Donald Trump, the only president to be impeached twice, the only person to lead a coup against the United States government, the president who presided over and was personally responsible for the greatest one-year loss of life in American history, the only president since Herbert Hoover to actually leave office with fewer people employed than when he was sworn in, the only world leader to have been summarily banned from virtually all major social media sites because of his words were so inflammatory the most prolific liar, if not conspiracy theorist in American political history, which is saying something, a man who managed to be at once the most corrupt, the most odious, the most ignorant, and the most ineffective in, of political leaders in U.S. history. Boom. I mean, wow. wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I was that's loaded. wow uh, that, as you're reading it. Jeez. That, that's loaded. And, and I'm one of these people as, as, a, as a political science instructor and as, a, as, as somebody who, who teaches history. I'm one of these people that always says you, you have to wait for the judgment of history. You have to give time. You know, Harry Truman left the presidency, very unpopular. Today is regarded as one of our greatest presidents. Uh, usually it takes the benefit of at least 20 
till 40 years to assess president. No, no time is going to be needed for Donald Trump. Uh, his place in history is secured. Uh, his place in history is uh, the very worst. Uh, there's just there's just no question about it. Well, and, and that that brings me back to talking about you know the worst when it comes to some of the worst moments of the presidency over the last you know decade or not decade uh, you know few decades you know yeah. all the way back to the 50s 60s or whatever hearing now the reports that after this second impeachment um in the white house you can't even utter the name richard nixon in comparison to donald trump because nor should you because that's an insult to richard nixon well and I mean, that's that, that's where i'm going uh, with this is the fact that well you know this looks a lot worse than what nixon uh was impeached for and was ultimately was about to be convicted for jason Richard Nixon, this was Watergate was jaywalking compared to this. Mm -hmm. I mean, Richard Nixon, I mean, we've had great presidents. We've had good presidents. We've had poor presidents. We've had terrible presidents. All right. But every one president that we've had, every president we've had up until Donald Trump had a common set of characteristics. And that was they had an understanding of how government worked, number one. And number two, they had a fidelity to the Constitution and an understanding of the role of the president and that understanding and an appreciation for the president's place in the constitutional order, that it was about the country. It wasn't about self. Donald Trump had none of those qualities. Donald Trump lacks any rudimentary basic understanding of the Constitution. He hasn't read the Constitution. He doesn't understand how checks and balances work. He doesn't understand how government's supposed to function. And he sure as hell doesn't understand the American ideal. Donald Trump is going to leave the presidency on Wednesday. And some point in time, somebody's going to have to get the guy on the couch. And my God, what an experience that'll be uh, to, to psychoanalyze the man. But I would tell you right now, and I'm not into psychobabble, but I'd be willing to bet you uh, a pretty significant chunk of money that I don't have <laughs> that that if Donald Trump, if you get him on the couch and you get him where he's really candid, I think he will admit that the worst mistake of his life was running for president. He ran for president in 2015 as an exercise of vanity. Mm -hmm. He ran for president. Uh, as a business proposition, he was going to run. He was going to. He was going to be able to translate that into either a media empire or maybe another television show. And and what ended up happening was he won the Republican nomination. And then he was like the dog that chases the farm truck. He finally caught up yeah. to. He's like, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and it was all a show. And what happened was he didn't win the popular vote in either presidential election. But what ended up happening was his supporters bought into a mirage. They bought into an image that Donald Trump has been selling since 1981, since his first appearance on the Today Show, where he came on and he is positioning himself and playing a real estate developer. He's playing a successful businessman. He's playing the billionaire. It was always an act with Donald Trump. That's what it was. This was P.T. Barnum. That's who we elected. And that's an insult to P.T. Barnum. That's who we elected. We elected an image. That's what people bought into. And it couldn't be further from the truth. And on Richard Nixon, I'll just say this. 
people can say what they want about Richard Nixon, but Richard Nixon was a genuinely accomplished president on so many areas in terms of foreign policy, in terms of domestic policy. His legacy, had it not been for Watergate, would be secure as one of our better presidents. Mm -hmm. And Richard Nixon understood politics. Richard Nixon understood uh, the role of government. Donald Trump had none of that. So, so the comparisons to Nixon have to stop. I think that the more apt comparison is to Andrew Johnson. Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's easy to, and rightfully so, he's the president of the United States, but you talk about people electing an image. Well, there's a lot of uh, clones out there in Congress right now or in state legislatures that uh, use the imagery of what Donald Trump was able to accomplish as far as um, getting people convinced that, you know, successful businessman or standing up for the constitution of which some of them have not read. I mean, you want to talk about an Alabama Senator that's newly elected <laughs> and never touching the constitution of which he just swore to uphold. Tommy um, Tuberville, who was, who was, uh, uh, an Alabama newspaper. Of course, you know, Alabama's the buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, it, it is crimson red down there in its yeah. politics and in its sports, obviously. Uh, they, they said that Tommy Tuberville is as dumb as a bag of hammers, and that's an insult to hammers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the United States Senate, Tommy. Uh, but yeah, let's just go ahead and delay that inauguration till we get COVID under control, he says, uh, just last night. But to that point, I mean, Tommy. Tommy's, uh, Tommy's, he followed in the footsteps uh, of Don, Donald Trump politically. You can look at some of the new freshman uh, congressmen and women. They are using the coattails of what Donald Trump was able to do for their own vanity, for their own success. I mean, I, I've been saying this on on my radio show, KFGO Afternoons Live 2 to 4. Um, Number one in all markets where it airs, folks. Once a week. <laughs> People, I'm sure, roll their eyes and pound their dashboards when they hear that. Uh, but look, if anything, as we wind down this administration and we, you know, hold on for the next few weeks, months, that can we just pledge to ourselves that we're done electing these wannabe political celebrities that don't know shit about the offices that they hold and actually get back to electing public servants? And those that are statesmen and women that want to do the job that understand the role of government in America. Can we get there, Jason? Excuse the French. I fucking hope so. Uh, the presidency's become way too powerful. It's become too too much of a central mm-hmm. figure in our lives. It frankly has. Uh, the president's... And, that, and, that's, and that's not a shot at Donald Trump. I mean, no. you can go all the way back through the last four or five administrations, this no. consolidation of power in the executive branch. Where the president's become a celebrity. Yeah. That was, that was never the intent of the presidency or the intent of the founders. Uh, we've had cults of personality that have built around these presidents. This is unhealthy in, in a democracy. Uh, the, the presidency uh, has to be brought back to the role that it was intended, which is to oversee the executive branch, uh, to work within the constitutional framework. I always bristle at this when, when I, I hear members of Congress, like Kevin Kramer, um, who said the other day, it's been a pleasure, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, uh, serving under Donald Trump. Well, you don't, you're, you're a co-equal branch of government. Mm-hmm. You don't serve under a president. You serve with the president. You don't serve under a president. The, 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 the presidency, and this is, this is what's happened, 
And what has happened is that Congress has been dysfunctional. Congress is fundamentally broken. And as a result of that, as Arthur Schlesinger said in his observation of the American presidency, the, the system of separation of powers and checks and balances, you have three branches of government that are supposed to be jealous of one another's power, and it immediately and automatically creates a system where there is um, some gridlock. And you have to work within that system in order to get anything going. But when one institution, one branch of government completely, totally breaks down and is locked in gridlock, it creates a vacuum. And the presidency is the only institution that is capable of stepping in and taking immediate action. Well, that's because the Congress has been derelict in its duties in mm -hmm. so many areas. And it has allowed this imperial presidency, which is not new. I mean, we talk about the imperial presidency. Historians are talking about this back uh, when Nixon was president, but it creates this vacuum. That's the problem. We, ch we can change presidents every four years, but as long as the fundamentals are as such that Congress is not functioning, mm -hmm. you're not gonna get change. You're not gonna get action here. I mean, that's that's the reality here. And, and we have to have a larger conversation in this country uh, about constitutional reform. And, you know, you, you don't have to completely throw out the U.S. Constitution and write a new one, but you, you certainly should look at it in terms of how can we make government work. And I think you start by looking at how Congress functions and really start looking, too, at where are some limitations you can place on the presidency. Mm -hmm. It was something you said struck me as far as the, the automatic separation, jealousy between branches. I mean, really, Jason, I think that that, that has been replaced not of, uh, you know, wanting to reclaim power within chambers, but of parties. It's the jealousy of, uh, you know, and the anger towards the other parties. So, yeah. I mean, you can look at, uh, you'd mentioned like Donald Trump, for example, wanting to take money that was approved by Congress for defense budgets and move that billions of dollars to a border wall. That's not going to do shit. Uh, and, and congressional members applauded it, even though they they didn't approve the money that that way. I mean, the, the fundamental breakdown of how this is all supposed to be working yeah. was applauded by Congress, which you, I think, are right to say is broken. Let's go there. Because last week we had the insurrection, the uh, the attempted coup. The more we learn about it, the the more troubling it is. Uh, you know, and there, there is uh, all this talk of incitement. Who is it responsible to adding fuel to the fire? And we don't need to get into necessarily who said what, when, where, how. Uh, but accountability. Donald Trump's now been impeached for the second time. Uh, members of Congress, you know, there is talk of censure. There's talk of, um, you know, expulsion, but the thing that seems to really get them all hot and bothered and sweating from the brow is the fact that you got big donors saying, look, we're cutting the checkbook off. What can be done for those in Congress that there's some accountability there? I mean, all this, well, the talk of healing and unity. Well, you know what? Uh, I would like to get there as well, but that comes with uh, the... Uh, the reflection of some of the the own actions of the people that allowed and helped this get here it takes a uh, mutual trust that the person you're working beside is looking out for you like they are them and all that's been fundamentally broken over the last decade what needs to be done in congress to hold some of these uh senators and congressmen and women accountable for what happened uh the week prior 
Well, there's a lot there to unpack. So let, let, let's take it apart piece by piece here. First on the accountability or on the, the calls for unity and accountability, I'm all for unity, but you have to hold the seditionists accountable. It's, it, you know, if your neighbor comes over and burns your house down to the ground and then afterward comes up to you and says, you know, let bygones be bygones. I, things got out of hand here. Let's get together for the sake of the neighborhood and get along. I mean, to hell with you. Yeah. You know, I'm going to press charges, you asshole. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's right. the bottom line. Look, the more, the more that, that comes out in the coming weeks, I think we're going to be appalled by what's happening. Um, a couple things that came out um, just this morning as we record this on Friday. Um, uh, FBI, this was, this was in Politico, that um, federal prosecutors yesterday, which would have been Thursday, uh, are now describing last week's assault on the Capitol in the words of a veteran Justice Department prosecutor, quote, a violent insurrection that attempted to overthrow the United States government, end quote. Let that sink in. Mm -hmm. Then the news comes out this morning. This was just breaking when we were when we were coming on. ABC News is now reporting that Michael Flynn, Steve Bannon, and Roger Stone all participated in the efforts to promote the Stop the Steal event on January 6th, that they are connected to the insurrection. And Bannon had been in touch in recent weeks with Donald Trump. Heidi Heitkamp was on ABC the other day, and she was also on a podcast with um, um, the, the Bulwark podcast with Charlie Sykes the other day. And she was talking about the Senate trial, and she made the comment that or the observation that the Senate leadership is privy to intelligence and reports before the rest of the Senate are. Uh, the rest of the Senate is. And she believes that McConnell and Schumer have been briefed and have information that they know is going to come to light. That's going to be shocking. Uh, and it's going to come to light in the public. And it's certainly going to take uh, center stage in the upcoming Senate trial. Uh, and, and, and this is one of these events, what happened on January 6th, is that the further removed you are from it, the worse and worse yeah. and worse it looks. Yeah, and I've had those conversations as well. I mean, typically in politics, we see it routinely of you have an event, you have a moment that, you know, fuels people's passions. Uh, but then the, the further removed you get from it, it's like, well, we'll just move on. That's not the case this time. No. I mean, no, we're, you, we're, you we're a week and two days removed from the attempted overthrow of American democracy. And the, the week and two days have made it look even worse than the disgusting, terrible mm -hmm. images that we were watching play out in real time all over the national news and all over the radio and all over social media. Mm -hmm. And if, if in fact, those reports, which I, I assume are, are accurate, the more that comes out, the worse it's going to look yeah. a week, two weeks, whenever, yeah. in fact, this trial does get underway in the Senate. Um, you know, Americans have come to the realization, I think, in the last, certainly in the last week, that uh, democracy is very fragile. Mm -hmm. And Americans, and particularly congressional Republicans, are now uh, realizing that the most dangerous period in any abusive relationship is during the breakup. Uh, I think that when this comes out, this, this information um, 
that law enforcement is gathering, that the, that the, that the Justice Department is putting together on the insurrection, we're going to find that we were but mere minutes away from hostage taking on Capitol Hill and the decapitation of the constitutional line of succession uh, and the um, mass assassination event, which had that played out, uh, one Pentagon official had said on background at CNN to CNN that had that happened, we would have had no choice but to send in the military and uh, Capitol Hill would have burned on the night of the 6th. It would have been a bloodbath. And when you map this out, and I think when you start connecting the dots, information is going to come out that is going to show that that was exactly the intent of some of those rioters. They came in there prepared. Uh, What's very disturbing is uh, there's video that you can see, which law enforcement has, of course, been, been very focused on. Uh, where they're talking about, um, they're looking at, there was a tactical group that went up the steps of the Capitol, the front of the Capitol. They opened up a line and they allowed them to, to come right on in there. And they said that many of those people, they were in tactical gear, uh, were, were ex-military and ex-law enforcement officials. Mm-hmm. And they, they, were lo- they were armed and they were ready uh, for war. Here- uh, I, Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, You know, know, I've seen that video and, uh, you know, you can hear some of the, the response to what we, we saw last week and be like, Oh yeah, it's this type of person. It's uneducated people. You know, it's just no, that the, the, there were, there were teachers, there was an occupational therapist that was a teacher out there. There's a gold Uh, medal Olympus uh, Olympian. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that, but yeah, you got ex-military, uh, you've got uh, a law enforcement that are still on the job until probably this week and, and when they're getting um, discovered to have participated and that's now losing their jobs. But, you know, they still have the law enforcement training. I mean, there was a, a, a mixture of anger out there that, yeah, I think you're you're heading in the right direction that th- there was when it comes out of some of the intent of some of those individuals, it, it's going to be jarring even more so than what it has been over the last, um, you know, nine days, some of those individuals have been arrested, you know, and for all those, uh, people in, in media locally here, uh, on a, on a radio station, that's conservative bent that has the, my pillow guy on that wants martial law in Minnesota, for example, uh, arrests are being made and and we're learning who these individuals were. It's not, it, it was not black lives matter. It was not Antifa. We know who they are because of these arrests. We've had over a hundred of them. Um, there's going to be more. Um, what are your response to some of the, uh, the arrests you're seeing and the fact that you've got the FBI warning, uh, the law enforcement that are out there doing these investigations that they've got to be careful and in, mm-hmm. in, in approaching some of these individuals because of what they're certainly capable of doing because of what they've posted online. We've had a, a, um, We've always had anarchists on the left and we've always had right wing militants on the right. Um, let's let's take a look at the uh, at the right. Uh, we've always had elements on the right in American politics um, and in society who uh, are militia uh, are militia minded and militia members and are, are girding for war. 
we've had them for decades now. The difference is, is twofold. Uh, first, um, social media and the internet have allowed these groups to really become connected to one another and to really organize with one another. Uh, so that, that they had the means. And the second, the second aspect, the second factor is they had the inspiration in the president where Donald Trump egged them on. Donald Trump fed them, kept fueling it. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And, and it blew up on January 6th. And I think it is going to blow up. I think we are in a period here and I encourage everybody who's listening uh, to go ahead and read up on the years of lead in Italy. And my God, I hope I'm wrong, but the years of lead L E A D uh, that was a period from the 1960s through the 1980s of uh, political um, violence in Italy where there were car bombings, there were assassinations, uh, there were militant guerrilla groups on the left and militant guerrilla groups on the right. I fear that's where we're heading in, in the 2020s. Uh, another, another analogy or comparison would be to um, Northern Ireland uh, with the IRA. I, I fear that might be where we're, where we're heading right now. And there are those elements that are girding for that. They want that and, and um, they, they want to force a cataclysmic event here. And people, people talk about, well, is America going to have a second civil war? Well, if we have a second civil war, God forbid, it's not going to look like the first civil war. That's for damn sure. Uh, you have to change your paradigm there. If there's going to be a civil war, you're going to have a civil war with, with political violence. And, and unfortunately, I think that that, that may very well be the, the, the place that we're heading right now. I pray to God that we aren't, but I think Americans have to be prepared for that. And the question is, Who's going to pull us back from that brink? I mean, Donald Trump's going to leave the stage, okay? But who's going to pull us back from this, from the brink here? Uh, there was a book that came out last year, uh, Anne Applebaum, uh, The Twilight of Democracy. I, I highly recommend it. It's called The Twilight of Democracy, The Seductive Lure of Authoritarianism. And, and it's a short book. It's a quick read. It's enlightening. Uh, but Applebaum talked about the complicity of elites in authoritarianism. And that really struck me last evening, the, the complicity of elites, because elites will, you know, they're establishment figures in politics. And along comes an authoritarian or an authoritarian movement, and they make a bargain here because their whole purpose here, their whole motivation is self-preservation politically. And so they try to justify and rationalize all the deals they're making with the devil. Because um, they're rationalizing that if I do this and play to the popular masses here, I'm going to be able to stay in power. And, and then they rationalize and saying, but, you know, I'm going to be in power and I'm going to be able to curtail the worst impulses of said wannabe dictator. All right. It struck me last night when I heard um, the statement from um, Ohio Senator Rob Portman. Rob Portman is about as establishment Republican as you can get. He was an aide for George H.W. Bush. And then in George W. Bush's presidency, he was uh, uh, the budget director and U.S. Uh, trade representative. He's a U.S. senator from Ohio. And his statement last night uh, when he came out and he says that, that Trump, you know, there's some of the responsibility for what happened, but we really have to learn more. It, it had all the qualities of, please don't hit me, daddy. Um, and oh, by the way, shit, I'm up for reelection in 22 next year. I, you know, I, I can't say anything that's gonna piss off 
piss off Trump's supporters. Uh, you know, <laughs> contrast that with a with Elisa Murkowski, who's at the well to hell with it. You know, and she just comes right out and says he's got to be gone, and I want all the evidence in the Senate trial, and I want to hear what really went on. Uh, you know, this this uh, we live in an era of political pygmies, um, and and that's what made what was so remarkable on Wednesday in the House. These ten House Republicans that stood up and voted for the articles of impeachment—it's so rare. Uh, and it was it was so refreshing. And you can look at it and say, well, God, why didn't 50 House Republicans stand up to vote for the articles of impeachment? Why was there only 10? Um, but, you know, you can half glass, half full, half empty. Uh, at least look at the 10 that, that did it and, and gave you the largest uh, House majority for any impeachment, the most bipartisan majority for an impeachment in history. Well, and we've heard reports as to why some of those Republicans have yeah. chosen not to. And uh, I mean, that, that Which goes is? Th that they're, they're fearful of yeah. uh, not, not the, not the ballot box. Uh, they're fearful of violence. And, and I think you struck something there as far as, you know, th there's this notion out there. Well, we just got to get through next Wednesday. Well, let's get through the inauguration. Then things will return to normal. Not uh, boys and girls. Uh, and, how do you how do you stop it? How do you nip it in the bud? Even though I mean it's already blossomed, right? Um, is it the the arrests that I talked about? You know, I mean, is it that accountability to to what happened a week ago Wednesday on the inside the Capitol? Is it bringing justice? You know, albeit that everyone's going to have their time in court, rightfully so. Is that enough to deter or is that only going to instigate? Because I had a conversation with a former law enforcement individual who now teaches federal uh, policy in North Dakota. And, uh, you know, we're talking about big tech, for example, or some of the, yeah. uh, you know, some of the uh, pushback. This is fueling that narrative for some of those that want violence saying, well, look, there they go. They're infringing on us. It's a, such a delicate balance that I, it doesn't have to be a central figure or does it just have to be the rule of law needs to get back in and uphold what it once was? The rule of law, uh, the rule of law. I mean, this is, this is going to be now a multi-year process by which we try to curtail what's been unleashed and, and there's going to be more bloodshed. There's going to be more violence. Um, and that's, I, it pains me to say that because this is the United States of America, but that's the reality that we're facing. Right we have 15,000 guardsmen and women in Washington, DC, right? 20,000. Is it up to 20? 20. That, that we've got more in our nation's capital than we do over in Afghanistan, for example. And the rest of the world is looking on in horror and there's no country out there looking at us today and say, yeah, I want that form of government. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's a problem. I mean, delusion and self-denial is an American trait. Uh, it's deeply embedded in who we are as Americans. Uh, we always we always think that well it can't happen here. And, and and Wednesday it showed last Wednesday it showed that it very well could happen here, and we were just minutes away from it happening here. Uh, and and as a result of that, I think Americans have come to the notion that we may no longer be a member of the League of Ordinary of Extraordinary Nations. We might be uh, a, a now a card carrying member of the League of Ordinary Nations if we allow this to continue. Um, I, I look at this, I, let's look at Biden for a moment. Uh, I think that foremost and fundamentally Biden's most important priority is to get COVID under control. That, that, that's, that's it right there. 
he goes into office next Wednesday, he has to get the virus under control. He has to get the vaccines out there. He has to get his economic stimulus plan through the Congress. So if you can get back to some semblance of normal and the economy can then start to reopen and, and we can uncork that bottled up economic anticipation and, and yearning, um, that, that's number one. And that, that's going to then give him the political capital that he needs. Uh, and then there's going to have to be on the part of the Justice Department and Homeland Security, uh, an all out offensive against um, these, these right wing and, you know, elements and, and left wing elements as well. I mean, when you take a look at, at what happened this summer uh, with protests, there's going to have to be have to be an all out offensive on that. Um, I think, though, that the, the Senate trial uh, that we're going to see here is going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen. Uh, there, I cannot imagine that they're not going to have witnesses. Um, they're going to break everything down. The information's going to come out. And I, 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 a lot of people are very cynical about this. And they say, well, there's no way that there's going to be 17 Republicans that are going to join 50 Democrats to, to convict. I'm not entirely convinced of that. Yeah, uh, nor, I, nor am I. I'm not because because, yeah, they no longer the vote now is not to remove Donald Trump from office. Mm -hmm. The vote now is to find him guilty, which is a political act. Uh, he is now going to be criminally culpable. Uh, no question about that uh, moving forward. Um, and then and then, of course, they can then vote to to disqualify. But but then there's also the other information that that is likely to come out. Uh, and this is not speculation at all. This is. Uh, there's evidence that's coming to light that there were members of the House of Representatives and staff members of these representatives that were in communication and organizing and assisting with these rioters. Mm -hmm. That's why I was asking about the accountability factor that I think yeah. the more we know that, that there's going to be something oh, the, uh, you know, uh, that, that's geared towards these congressmen and, and women. As far a as censure, yeah, censure. There's got to be something. Expulsion. Uh, yeah, ex I, I could see expulsion, but you know what? Like I said, I keep going back to the thing that really has them jarred is the fact that the the flow of cash and the campaign money. When you want to talk about getting COVID under control in the economy, these guys out there, uh, I think over the last nine months, ten months, were more worried about campaign cash than they were about American COVID cash getting out, and. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so maybe we're turning the corner there. This underscores my calls for, you know, a decade now saying we've got to look at campaign finance uh, reform. But I want to get back. You mentioned uh, Biden needs to get COVID under control. He just released a $1.9 trillion COVID package last night. We're talking about a trial coming up in the Senate for Donald Trump's impeachment. Uh, they going to be able to balance this in the Senate or is the first hundred days that are, you know, for whatever reason in our minds, you know, so vitally important for an, uh, an administration. The first hundred days, are they going to be uh, controlled and taken over by this trial of this impeachment, or are they going to be able to balance this out and do both? Can they chew gum and walk at the same time? They don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. Real quickly, before we move on, I, I want to say that you have to applaud corporate America here for what they've done. Um, the, the number of businesses that have come out and said, we're done. We're not, if, if you were supporting voting against, or if you voted against the certification, the electoral votes, we're done. Um, we're not going to tolerate that. It really says something uh, for corporate America to stand up here and actually be more definitive um, and decisive 
uh, and and strong in their condemnation of what happened than a lot of a lot of elected officials. Just to be honest about it, uh, so so you have to say that. And money talks, and I think that is ultimately a motivating factor there, particularly for Mitch McConnell, who has been a champion of of opening up every spigot there is for for campaign dollars. But we can talk about that later on. Um, as it relates to COVID, they don't have a choice. They're going to have to walk and chew gum at the same time. The The Senate has always conducted in, in the Clinton trial and the Trump, first Trump trial, they conducted the impeachment in the afternoon and they conducted Senate business in the morning. It's not just COVID though. They have to populate the government. Uh, Biden has not had any of his, any of his nominees have not had any, any hearings uh, when Barack Obama was inaugurated uh, on January 20 in 2009, uh, that afternoon, he had six cabinet officers. He, Biden will have none. And so they have to, it's particularly in the national security realm, they have to fill those seats right away. In terms of COVID, um, the, the, the package that Biden released, which was a $1.9 trillion package, uh, you know, this is the way Washington used to work, in which everybody said, uh, I think it was Jake Sherman with Punchbowl News said this morning, this was a shock to the system because at two o'clock in the afternoon, they have a briefing with the economic team. Then in that afternoon, they were able to interview one-on-one -on -one and get background information for their stories. At 7.15, Biden comes out, gives a speech. At 7.45, they get all the statements from senators and the statement from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Manufacturers Association, all the trade associations. You know, oh my God, this is back to normal. This is how a rollout works. Um, Biden, Biden's plan here won the praise of both Bernie Sanders and uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, he has in there $1,400 direct payments uh, to Americans, um, which comes out to $2,000 because all Americans are getting the $600 coming up here now or in the next couple of weeks. Some already have it in their accounts. Yeah. So, so, um, so, the, you know, it, it's, it's aggressive and, and he, he, the, the, it appears, I'm not an expert on Senate rules, but through reconciliation, they can get that package through. The stumbling block is going to be the $15 minimum wage yeah. uh, in there. And and Republicans aren't in favor of that. Uh, so there's a question how they're going to get that through. They will likely, if you listen to the experts on Senate rules, have to take that out in order to, that might be a negotiating tool to take that out to get, to get it through. Um, and then that sets up a battle later on which will be trying to get the $15 minimum wage, which, by the way, enjoys wide popular support, by the way. Um, you know, in, in red states, minimum wage increases have gone through. Um, and and that, that will, of course, set up a bigger, a bigger battle over the, the, the future of the filibuster. Well, well and did, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this last election, you had Donald Trump winning Florida, but didn't they pass a, yeah. a minimum wage increase in Florida? They did. They did. They did. Okay. Wherever a minimum wage increase has been on the ballot, uh, it's passed. There's been a couple of items that have uh, I've seen growing success when it goes right on the ballot. Minimum wage and pot, marijuana. <laughs> Look at South Dakota, for example. You know what? Yeah. You put it on the ballot. It seems like these two items are passing. So, and if, if, there's, ever, if, if there's ever a period in America where you want to be stoned, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, next week we got the inaugural. Um, yeah, we're waiting with beta breath, you know, yeah. fingers crossed that nothing happens, whether it's in DC or, you know, I mean, 
right where you're at in Bismarck or the other capitals around the country of which, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm on the border of North Dakota, Minnesota, and then I know they've called up the national guard for St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, but we'll have to recap if nothing happens or something does happen. And let's hope for the former and not the latter, Jason. Certainly. Uh, you know, the, there's the Chinese saying that may you live in interesting times and that is meant to be both a blessing and a curse. And, and we haven't even, we haven't even touched on uh, COVID because while all this is happening with the, with the political insurrection and instability in the yeah. country, we have now posted the worst daily death rates uh, of this pandemic. And, and now the epidemiologists and public health officials are coming out and saying there are new variants coming out. We have got to get people vaccinated, um, before this virus continues to, to, to morph and, and to evolve. And I, I think that, you know, presidents come in and some presidents come in in situations where it's just, it's laid out for them on the table. Um, other presidents come in and it is just uh, one set of bad circumstances. I can't think of a president and I thought Obama came in in a pretty bad situation, yeah. but I can't think of a president um, really since FDR that has come in to a situation as bad right now as what Biden's coming into. Yeah. Uh, but National security, economy, health. Uh, exactly. it's all there and it's all there the economy i mean but but i have to say this and that is that um we'll come full circle and talk about when we talked about trump's place in history we'll come full circle here and that is um i do believe there are rhythms to history i do believe there are patterns to history i also believe though that that joe biden is bringing to the presidency a skill set we have not had in any president since gerald ford yeah that is an understanding of Congress uh, and relationships in Congress. And, you know, great challenges also give you the opportunity to rise to that occasion. And the one thing that Joe Biden has uh, going for him is that understanding of how the system works, but also uh, an understanding and a familiarity and ability to make government function. Um, and if he can rise to the moment and get COVID under control and get the economy economy going again, the amount of goodwill that I think that he'll gain from that um, is going to suit him very well. And, and to be frank about it, if he does what he needs to do, he can go down in history as a great American president. I'm not saying that as a partisan. I'm saying that as somebody who, who teaches political history, teaches presidential history, the rhythms of history. Um, you know, whenever you have a terrible president, it's followed by the next guy and the next guy set up to rise to the occasion. Let we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what transpires. We'll see what transpires and we'll wrap up what in fact did transpire next week and what the hell happened. Jason, you take care. We'll check, uh, check in again next week. All right. Stay safe. Be well.